You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Lord, it is just wonderful to be with you again, second week in a row for me, and in an absolute joy. And we are jumping straight in. We are continuing with our series on Galatians. And the, 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 the title of the series is Freedom, A Life Worth Living For. If you were here last week, we launched that by thinking about freedom in the context of this new way. And if you missed any of that, I would encourage you, please try and keep up with the series because it really, really will help us as we go forward uh, as followers of Jesus. When we speak of freedom here, Paul says these words, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again with the yoke of slavery. So when Paul says to us, to me and you, to the Galatians, as he writes to them, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. What does he mean? And we're leaning into the idea of what freedom means. And in the context of the book of Galatians, freedom means this, that we don't have to keep the law to be saved. That's it. Now, I know that doesn't sound very radical on a Sunday morning in Coventry, but that, if we really get it, if we really understand it and lean into the words that we've been singing this morning, that is a game-changing idea. That actually, this new way, Paul says, this justification by faith, the righteous will live by faith in Christ Jesus, means this, that, that actually, actually, I don't have to keep the law to be saved, but by faith in Jesus Christ, I am saved. And in having faith in Jesus Christ, I receive His righteousness to me. Okay? And and His righteousness is what saves me. It's His righteousness that justifies me. It's by believing in Him that I am made justified, as if I had never sinned, that I receive His righteousness. It's like being in, a, in an unpayable debt and having that unpayable debt wiped out, and then the person who wipes out your unpayable debt puts a billion pounds in your account, and there it is. And someone says to you, my goodness, what did you do to get the billion pounds in your account? And you say, nothing. No, you must have done something. No, I didn't do anything. Well, you must have worked for someone to get that billion pound in your account. You must, have, you must have done something for them. Nothing. Well, how did you get the billion pounds in your account? Well, the guy just asked for my bank details and told me to trust him. And so, I trusted him and he put a billion pounds in my account. So, that billion pounds has nothing to do with me. It's to do with the generosity, the grace, and the goodness of the person giving the billion pounds. When you and I go to heaven, if there is a gate check at heaven, and if Peter's standing there with the team, swiping the barcodes as we go in, right, we're not going to get into heaven on the basis of what we have done. What they're checking for at the gate is, Do you have the righteousness of Christ in you? 
And how do we get the righteousness of Christ in us? By faith. I don't get the righteousness of Jesus because of anything I've done. Now this is a headbender because most of us have been trained that it's what you do gives you merit. And the Bible is teaching us and Paul is teaching us that that's not freedom. That's slavery. That's work. Paul is saying, actually, freedom is understanding nothing you can do is enough. And recognizing He has done everything for you, and that's enough. And if you really believe that, you're free. And then we can talk about works of faith out of that, which we're going to do today. Okay, so, so freedom in this context that Paul's talking about is, is the freedom that comes because we don't need to keep the law of Moses to be saved. All of that's been done by Jesus. All we have to do is trust Him and, as it were, give Him access into our world and allow Him to do what only He can do. Amen? Now, if, I know that that'll mess with your head, but if we can really get that, that is a game changer. And last week, we looked at the fact that Paul talked about this new way being from Jesus. It wasn't a man's idea. No man could come up with an idea like this. This is a God idea. A God idea that says, no matter what you do, it's not enough. So let me do it for you. That's a God idea. Comes from Jesus. It's in Jesus. Only by faith in Jesus are we free from the constraints of the law. And then he says, it's for Jesus. We give our lives for him. So, so we're going to lean in a little bit further into this. Let's take it one step further before we start looking at some of the real practical section, uh, sessions of this uh, particular book. And I'm going to read from Galatians chapter 3. We're going to look today very quickly at a new focus. So we're moving from the new way to the new focus. So it's Galatians chapter 3. Now, I make no apology here. I'm going to read the whole chapter. And it seems like a lot, but it's a really good exercise. And you, as I'm reading, listen, uh, listen as we go, because you'll hear some really amazing stuff that then it's my job to sort of just highlight what Paul has already written for us. So here we go, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, and he says this, having explained this new way that's from Jesus, and they're now struggling with it, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law? or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, you are now trying to attain your goal by human effort. Having, have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law, or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human agreement that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Now, the Scripture doesn't say to his seeds, meaning many people, but unto your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later, that's 430 years after Abraham, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it is no longer depends on a promise, but God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgression until the seed, that's Jesus, to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the Scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. How you doing? Okay. <laughs> Paul is making a compelling argument, but before he gets to the argument, he expresses his amazement. He says to the Galatians, who has bewitched you? Interesting phrase. In fact, it's the only time that particular word or phrase is used in the whole of the New Testament. He goes on to say this, who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, it's hard to read this in the English, but in the language of Paul, there's a beautiful dance with the words here. The word bewitched literally means this idea, and it's a very hard idea to translate. It means to bewitch or to spook or to challenge or to trouble with the eye. So the idea here is that some people believe that actually with the eye, you could 
curse someone. With the eye, you could, you could hurt someone. By a look, you could sort of make them do something that they didn't want to do. Now, now I, I grew up in Belfast. My, my mother and father raised me in Belfast, and my mother had a look. <laughs> my dad didn't have that look. My mom had a look. Are you with me? And my mom would look at me, and without words being spoken, I knew what I needed to do. And I knew that if I didn't do what that Luke was telling me, that there would be significant consequences on a young John Andrews. Are you with me? No words spoken, but a Luke. All right? You all know someone who has the Luke. Maybe some of you have the Luke. In fact, some of you are looking at me like you have the Luke already. Okay. So, so the Luke is something portrayed by the eyes in order to get someone to do something. That's the sort of idea. So it's a hard idea to translate. And, uh, and the NIV have translated it, bewitched. It's the look of the, in this context, the circumcision party, this group that says, you have to come to Jesus through Moses. Their look is spooking the Galatians. It's making them do something that Paul says you don't need to do. Now, the little play or dance on the word is that Paul says exactly the next thing in the sentence. He says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed. So here's what Paul is saying. You're being spooked by their look, and their look is causing you to look away from him. So here's what you need to do. You need to stop being spooked by their look and you need to go back to the vision of Jesus that you originally had. We were encouraged by Tracy right at the beginning of the service. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And, and really make an intentional decision to fix our eyes on Him. Now, that's not just a great encouragement on a Sunday morning when we're surrounded by a lot of distracting things in our life. But Paul is saying that's the very theological engine room of your faith. The minute we take our eyes off Jesus... Because of other ideas, we are moving from freedom to slavery. Even as a follower of Jesus, these Galatians loved Jesus. These Galatians were following Jesus. And yet, by getting spooked by the circumcision party, they are in danger of moving away from a vision of Jesus that has given them freedom to moving into something that's going to bring them to bondage. So the encouragement to fix your eyes on Jesus is not just a good idea on a Sunday morning when we're coming to concentrate on worship. It's a bedrock theological idea to keep us free. The minute I take my eyes off Him and what He has done, the minute I take my eyes off Him and His righteousness that is in me, I am moving to slavery. Because when I take my eyes off Him, what does it become about? It becomes about me. And the minute it becomes about me and what I can do, I'm in slavery. Because there's nothing I can do to earn this freedom. There's nothing I can do to get this righteousness. There's nothing I can do that adds to the billion pounds in the account. It's all Him. Now, so much within us is constantly, constantly gnawing at us to push us to the idea that it, it must be about something we do. There must be something I do that sort of gets me, like, 
like favor with God. There must be something that I do that gets me towards this. No, no. There is nothing, when it comes to the righteousness of the law, the righteousness of Jesus, there is nothing I can do. It's all done. And, and when we take our eyes off Jesus, we move away from He's done it all to I need to do something. And the minute you think, and I think we have to do something for this righteousness that comes by faith, we're back into slavery. You with me? Does that make sense to you? So, so this happens really subtly because humans are pre-programmed to work for something. We're taught from the minute we pop out of our mother's womb, do, 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 do. And the harder you do, the better it is. And the harder you work, the more successful. And of course, there is truth in all of that, absolutely. But when it comes to the righteousness of God, it doesn't work. That idea is broken. That idea is slavery. There's nothing I can do that makes me more righteous in Christ. Because my righteousness in Christ is not mine. It's His. Come on, are you with me? You sure? Still love me? All right then. So Paul is really trying to get them back to the focus. The focus is keep your eyes on Jesus, not just in a, in a worship sense, but keep your eyes on Jesus, understanding that it's His righteousness in you by faith that has made you free. And when you go stray from any part of that, we're back into some form of something I do that makes me righteous. Is that okay? So, two ideas really quickly that will help pull this together. At least I hope it will help pull this together and summarize Paul's teaching for us. First thing I want you to see is that Paul tries to teach this idea of focus back on Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus by teaching us the idea of faith before works faith before works. Now, let me add to that, faith before the works of the law, okay? Now, look at what he says. He plays the trump card. When you're a Jewish person and you want to play a trump card theologically from the Old Testament, Abraham wins every time, okay? He's like the trump card. So, Paul goes to the trump card. Why? Because Abraham was the first great Jew. Abraham is the father of all who believe, and so he goes to Abraham, and look what he says in verse 6 of chapter 3. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, big question that he will get to explicitly, but we can already hear where he's going. The question is, when did Abraham believe? And Abraham believed before the law. In fact, Paul tells us that the law was given by Moses 430 years approximately after Abraham believed. Yet, what does Paul say about Abraham? He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So, what is, what is Paul doing? Paul is giving us a principle that Abraham, by faith, believed something and then allowed God, that faith allowed God to credit to Abraham righteousness that was not his own, but a righteousness that comes by faith. And that 
happened before the law. Okay, you're with me so far? So this is so important. He goes on to say this in verses 7 to 9. So let me develop the argument for you. He said, understand then. So if we accept that idea that Abraham believed before the law, he says this, understand then that those who have faith, now who's he speaking to there? Speaking to the Galatians. And he's speaking to us. He says, now, those who have faith are children of Abraham. In fact, Paul argues that God foresaw the Gentiles coming in and said to Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And then he says this, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He goes on to say this, because the righteous will live by faith. So, Paul's making an argument. We've got, we've got this group trying to get you back to the law, trying to get you back to doing what you need to do to be made righteous. And so what does Paul do? He goes to pre-law, and he goes to Abraham, who none of the circumcision party will push back against because he's the man. And he says, Abraham believed God before the law. And in fact, righteousness was given to him, God's righteousness was given to him before the law. And then he says, those that come to faith in Jesus after the law have the same position as Abraham. That actually, the idea of pre-law faith and receiving God's righteousness before the law was God's original idea and something that God always wanted and something that God always intended. And Paul is in reality arguing that through Jesus, that idea has been made possible. And so we're able to come back in and to believe. And he says this about the law. He says, the law introduced 430 years later after Abraham does not set aside the covenant previously established by God. So Paul is trying to teach this idea. Look, look you're, being, you're being bewitched to go back to a works-orientated righteousness. Here's the reason not to do that. It gives him really two reasons. Number one, Abraham shows it's possible to believe God without the law. And secondly, Jesus has come. He's fulfilled the law in the middle so that you and I today only need believe in Him and not have to practice the law in a perfect way in order to be saved. This week, I was reading in my everyday devotions the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews quotes Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah, uh, through Jeremiah, the Lord says that he's going to raise up a new covenant, a new agreement, where the law will be written on the hearts of people. It won't be on stone. It will be on the heart. It will be something that, that doesn't need to be even taught by a person but it will be something that people will believe and trust in. And so Paul is making this incredible argument for us that faith that justifies, faith that allows the righteousness of God to be brought to us is a pre-law idea. It didn't come with the law. It came before the law through Abraham. And now through Christ, this idea is being re-established. So we remind ourselves then that I am righteous and I am free because of what Jesus has done, not because of what I have done. 
and that faith alone will enable us to live free and stay free. Okay? So that's the argument he makes. Now, the problem with that argument, and Paul asked the question himself, is, well, why on earth was the law given? If God's original idea was always that we would live by faith alone, and that through that faith His righteousness would come to us, then why did He give the law? And, and there are two reasons He gives us, and we'll do these and then we're landing this, okay? So stay with me, because I know this feels very heavy, but this is an important, it's important that we understand the argument at the heart of one of the most important books in the New Testament, because we keep slipping back to these ideas. When I say we, I don't mean you, but I mean generally. In pastoral ministry, I've seen people slip back constantly to a works-orientated faith instead of understanding what we have in Christ. So, why was the law given? Well, first of all, a sort of a negative answer, okay? Listen to what Paul says. He says, the law was added because of transgressions until the seed, that's Jesus, to whom the promise referred has come. He goes on to say this, before the coming of this faith, that's faith in Jesus, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So, a couple of reasons negatively why the law was given. Number one, because of the transgression. The law was there to show our transgression, to show that actually there were things that the Lord wanted and desired, and also behaviors that we were engaged in that He didn't want, didn't like. And so, the law was brought in order to help us understand the transgression we were involved in. And in our home this week, Abigail, our granddaughter, came to stay. She's two and a half. And so, we have Beth Ann at home, and Beth Ann is 21. And so, you, we, Dawn and I are sort of parenting two girls in our home this week but we're parenting them very differently. We're parenting the 21-year-old under the pretext she knows what she ought to do and the hope that she will do it, right? So we don't have to say to Beth Ann, for example, don't run onto the road. There's a car coming, all right? Don't pull the sausage dog's tail because he might bite you, right? Don't put your hand in the plug. Beth Ann at 21, I'm hoping, <laughs> has learned those ideas. But Abigail needs to be made aware of the transgression. She needs to understand that certain behaviors are not acceptable, certain things she cannot do, even if she wants to do them. And as a two-and-a-half-year-old, she wants to do them. And certain boundaries have to be brought into place in order to show her, no, that in this house, that is not acceptable. What you can do somewhere else, what you can do with your mom and dad is another thing. You're here, you do what we want you to do, okay? So, you come in under our law. So, the law was given because of the transgression, because like children, we were wanting to do our own thing, and we needed guidance from God to show us what he wanted. But notice that Paul says the law was given until the seed comes. The law was always meant to be something temporary, a bit like Beth Ann and Abigail. What I don't want to be doing to a 21-year-old is saying, don't touch the plug, don't go on the road, don't pull the dog's tail, don't, right? 
I'm hoping that she's moved from an understanding there's a transgression here to an understanding of freedom in life. That if I get the ideas in this house and those ideas go from my head, this is what my dad wants, to my heart, this is a good idea, then I won't need the law. Are you with me? Okay? So, so the law was always meant to be temporary. It was never meant to be a permanent idea. It was meant for the sort of two-and-a-half-year-old to instruct, to show, to guide, so that ultimately by faith they would move beyond the law and into life and freedom. Are you with me? Does that make sense? But then Paul's, Paul also picks up this idea. So that was the negative side, to reveal the transgression and to show us we needed God because we can't keep this law on our own. We actually need God's help to keep the law. So that's the negative side. The law was given, even though God's idea was justification by faith, the law was given to reveal the transgression, to show that it was a temporary measure and to actually remind us that we couldn't do it on our own strength, that we needed God's help to do it. That makes sense? Okay. But then Paul goes on to a positive reason for the law. And he says this in, in verses 24 to 25. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we may be justified by faith. Now that this faith in Christ has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We're no longer under the supervision of the guardian. So here's the idea. Not only is the law temporary, but the law, in essence, because it's, it's good stuff, was always meant to be like a guardian that would take us by the hand and then guide us to freedom. It was never meant to be an end in itself. It was meant to be a means to an end, teaching us what God wanted, teaching us the heart of God, so that as I grow up, I start to understand the power of these ideas, and I start to engage not with the law in itself, but with the heart of the God behind this law. I move from being told what to do, and I move to a place where I want to do. I move from have to to want to. Are you with me? And that's what the law was for. It was never meant to be a permanent fixture. It was meant to be like a guardian for a child. It was meant to teach us our transgression. It was meant to show us that we need God to fulfill the law anyway, and it was designed to lead us ultimately to faith in the God behind the law, so that eventually the law that was written on stone would become written on my heart. If the law stays on stone, it's something I have to do. But if the law comes on my heart, it's something I want to do. And the difference is, when the law remains on stone, it's about the law, it's about do's and don'ts. When the law moves to the heart, it's not about the law, it's about the lawgiver. It's about the Lord. It's about loving Him. And therefore, it shifts and it changes. You with me? I left Dawn very early this morning to come to CLM. And as I was leaving the house, Dawn, you know, we've been married 34 years. We celebrated our 34th wedding anniversary at the beginning of the month. As I was leaving her, Dawn didn't sit up in the bed. Thank you. Sorry. 
I wasn't looking for applause, but I'll take it anyway. Um, she's the one who deserves the applause. But, but 34 years married, and Dawn didn't sit up in bed as I was leaving and say, well, by the way, don't commit adultery. Now, that's the law. But if Dawn has to keep reminding me of that law, it is an indicator there is something fundamentally wrong in our relationship. Are you with me? If we need to be constantly reminded by the law, it's a clue it's still on stone. But when law moves to love, now let me, hear me very carefully what I'm about to say. When law moves to love, you don't actually need the law anymore. If I love Dawn, and Dawn is at the center of my world, I'm not going to commit adultery, not because the law says don't commit adultery, but because I love her. Are you with me? That's the idea of the guardian. The guardian starts off with something written on a tablet, written on stone, written in a document, because Abigail, we need to know what to do. But the trajectory of that was always about that moving away from stone on the heart, moving away from being told what to do because it's on the tablet to wanting to do it because we know the God behind it. Come on, are you with me? And so Paul is arguing that there is faith before works, and in order to explain why the law was given, he's, he's, he's showing us this. It was given for the transgression to show us the heart of God and where the boundaries are. It was always meant to be temporary, leading us to something, and actually it was to remind us that we couldn't even keep the law without his help, so we needed him to do it. But the ultimate job of the law was like a guardian leading us ultimately to a place where the law was no longer written on stone, something we had to do, and it became written by faith on our hearts, something we wanted to do. The focus is no longer the law, the works, but the focus is now the lawgiver, the Lord, and His love. And Paul says, in Christ we make that transition. We move from stone to heart. We move from the focus on the law to the lawgiver. We move away from what we need to do, and we move to what He has done. And when we move to what He has done, we then look at the rules completely differently because we're doing it out of love and faith. Does, does that make sense to you? All right. Hopefully it does. And Paul then takes us one step further. And this is now hopefully going to set us up practically for the next four weeks in terms of some of the real practical things we're going to lean into as a community. Paul then doesn't just talk about faith before works, but he then talks about works of faith. And this is where it can be a little bit confusing. We mustn't confuse works of the law to try and save us with works of faith because we are saved. They sort of look the same on the surface, but they're completely different. 
works of the law to save us is about me working to get the favor of God. Paul says, stop doing that. That's slavery. You're going back to bondage. Jesus has already done it for you. You have been set free and his righteousness is within you. But that doesn't mean once I come to faith that suddenly I'm ignoring the law or I'm ignoring living good or I'm ignoring living righteously. No, no. What happens then is having come to a place of faith in Jesus where I've got his righteousness, I live then out of that righteousness and I start to intentionally practice works of faith. Works that come out of my faith. Paul says we're no longer under the guardian. So at some point... Abigail, you, me, have to move from, I no longer need to be told what to do, I know what to do. And I know what to do because it's a good thing to do. So our focus is shifting. And let me just highlight some of the shifts really carefully as I bring this into land. Under the guardian, the law, we do because we have to. But by faith in Jesus Christ, we do because we want to. Okay? So, driving down here today on the motorway, the motorways are quiet. And when the motorways are quiet, you understand the people who stick to the speed limit and those who don't. And there's a mentality that says, well, look, the motorways are quiet, the lanes are empty, I can drive at 90 mile an hour. Okay? Now, the person who drives at 90 mile an hour on the motorway is a slave. They look free, but they're slaves. Why? Because the first chance they get to break the law, they break it. That's not freedom. That's slavery. No, no, it's the other way. No, honestly, it is. Freedom is having an empty motorway and choosing to stick to the speed limit. (laughs) Remember, when you drive at 90 mile an hour in the motorway, Not only has Elvis left the building, but the Lord has left your car. So you just need to be careful about that. Are are you with me? See, that's messing with your head. I know it is. No, freedom is being able to do whatever you want. No, it isn't. That's slavery. Freedom is doing what is right. Not what you want. And freedom is doing what is right because you have the power to do it. Not because you have to do it. Because this morning, I could have driven at 90 mile an hour down the road and hoped that the digital cameras weren't working. Are you with me? If you need a speed limit to tell you what to do, you're bound. If you know how to drive well without the speed limit, you're free. So it is here. That's what Paul is talking about. If you're only doing it for Jesus, he's saying, because you have to, you're not free. He doesn't want you to do it because you have to. 
He wants you to do it because you want to. That's freedom. Come on. Come on, are you with me? I have to keep the law to have life, whereas freedom says, I want to keep the law because I have life. Okay, wait, the band better come up. I think, I think we're, 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 I really do need to land this. <laughs> we are not saved by our works, but having been saved, we work. Are you with me? Does that make sense to you? Living by faith in Jesus moves us from have to to want to. Slavery says, I have to keep the law to get his life. Freedom says, I want to keep the law or do the right thing because I already have life. So what's our new focus? Let me summarize it with four ideas and then we'll, we'll pray. The new focus Paul says, who's bewitched you? Why are you freaking out? Why are you spooked? They're being bewitched because the look of the circumcision party is trying to get them back to a merit-oriented salvation. What I do matters. Paul is saying, yes, it's good to do the right thing, but what you do makes no difference to your salvation in Christ. You're free because of the righteousness of Christ in you. If you are going to do anything, Paul's saying, it's out of that righteousness not to get it. With me? So, what's the shift? Paul is saying our focus needs to move from what I do to what Jesus did. You're not saved because of what you do. You're not free because of what you do. In this sense, in the Galatian sense, you are and I am free because of what he did. Can you say amen? amen? Second shift. We move from what is required by the law to what he desires by love. We move away from having to do something because it's required and we do it because it's desired. That's freedom. We move from have to to want to. And lastly, we shift our focus from works for faith to works of faith. It is for freedom, Paul says. Christ has set you why go back he says to trying to do things that are all down to your strength he says it's already been done for you by Jesus Christ he says lean into that hold on to that don't move from that so that your faith in Christ which opens the door for his righteousness to live in you now empowers you to do the things for the Lord to do the things for this community, to do the things for each other, to do the things for your world out of that faith, out of that righteousness because of what he has done. 
And so on the surface, it looks like the person working for righteousness and the person working out of righteousness, it looks like the same thing. But in the heart, one is bound and one is free. Why? Because when we work out of righteousness, we work out of what He has done. And our doing is a result of that grace and that mercy. Hope that makes sense to you. Hope you haven't heard what I haven't said. Some tricky stuff in there. But for Christians, there's a constant tension between what he has done, which I can't add to, and what I need to do. But what I need to do must always come out of what he has already done. Will you stand with me? Thank you for your patience. You've been so kind. Going to sing a great song together. But let me pray for you before we sing this great song. This great song is going to encourage us to focus on Jesus. To focus on who he is and what he has done. What is this freedom that Paul talks about? It's the freedom that we don't have to keep the law to be saved. It's if we keep the law, it's because we are saved. That my righteousness is not enough, but his righteousness is everything I need. Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters that we will be free. Theologically, in terms of the truth of your word, we are free, but will you help us to live free? Will you help us to live in a freedom, Lord, that says it has been done? and a freedom that allows us to see the law move from something on a tablet of stone to something written on our hearts. It moves from a have to to a want to. It moves from something I need to do to have life to something that we do because we have life. So Lord Jesus, I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters, for me, a fresh revelation of this truth, that the just shall live by faith that the just shall live by faith and that that faith will set us free and keep us free in Jesus' name.